And good afternoon, Pittsburgh Steelers fans. Welcome to another edition of Steelers Brunch with Tony. I am your host, Tony Defio. And as always, thank you for joining me. I uh, think this is episode number five. Yeah, according to my notes, episode number five. So I guess that means uh, I might be picked up for a full season. We'll see. We'll see. So far, so good. But uh, again, thank you for joining me. And before we go any further, I just want to encourage you, as always, to subscribe to the Behind the Steel Curtain YouTube channel. As I say every week, there's an endless amount of, of podcasts you can you can choose from. Uh, of course, this one, Steelers, Steelers Brunch with Tony. There's Steelers Q&A every Monday at 5 o'clock with myself and Brian Anthony Davis. That's during the off-season. And during the regular season, it's called Steelers Hangover. And that's when we discuss the Steelers game that took place the day before. And then, of course, there's Steelers Preview, hosted by, I think, Brian Anthony Davis now. There's Yeah, I Said It hosted by the legendary Lance Williams. Uh, I think yesterday Dave Schofield filled in for him. And of course, Dave Schofield does the stat geek every, every week. And uh, with, with, with uh, his big brother, big bro Sco, I think he joins him on that show. Uh, there's the standard is the standard, which I think is hosted now by Dave Schofield and, and, and uh, a new edition. Michael Beck has a, has a, a weekly podcast. I believe that's only audio at the moment. I'm not sure, but, uh, Lots of great podcasts that you can choose from. And of course, there's Behind the Steel Curtain, the, the, the website where you can get 10 articles a day. There's breaking news by, by yeah, that you'll get by Dave Schofield. He's a new editor. He took over for Jeff Hartman, who just departed. And of course, Michael Beck's a new deputy editor. So they'll be handling that. And then, of course, there's the commentary by people like me. And there's film breakdown by by people like Jeffrey Benedict and... and, and uh, Cliff Harris is still a punk. I think I, he's a longtime contributor. So there's, there's all kinds of, uh, there's just, it's the best Steelers site on, on the internet as far as I'm concerned. And, and it's the one-stop shop for your, for all your Steelers needs. So uh, please uh, give the podcast a listen and, and, and uh, join uh, behind the store curtain whenever you, whenever you want to get your Steelers fix. So that's pretty much all I want to say about that. And uh Hello to everybody out there. Just me, Thaddeus Kennedy, a lot of uh, familiar faces. Professor Jakob, that's, that's a new one for me. There's Ezra's on there. And Brian Anthony Davis. All right, good news. I've, I've officially been picked up for a, a, a full season. All right, so now I can uh, I can pay my rent. Snowman, the legendary snowman's there to join us. So as always, I uh, I have a, a slew of, of, article, of articles, of topics I'd like to discuss with you today on, on, on the brunch. And uh, let's see, where can I start? I'll start with the, the topic that never seems to end or the, never seems to die. And that's the, the, the Steelers backup quarterback situation. On Monday, Memorial Day, I was uh, doing the show with, with Brian and the question came up again about the Steelers backup quarterback situation. And, 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 and the question was asked, I don't know, I don't remember who asked it, but should Pittsburgh think about trading for jo Jacoby Brissett? And I thought, well, maybe. I don't know. It's, and then Dave Schofield, the editor, he he chimed in in the live chat with the, he, he, the little tidbit that that Brissett counts would count twenty million dollars against the cap. So I did some research, and I didn't realize that that Brissett was was signed to a pretty big deal last year after Andrew Luck 
retired unexpectedly in, in the preseason. He he retired and and the Colts signed Brissett to a, a two-year deal for thirty million dollars, twenty million million of that guaranteed. So uh, that's a pretty big investment, and and I really didn't pay a whole lot of attention to, to Brissett last year. I was more worried about the Steelers and their plight and their 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 problems and their struggles to try to make the playoffs without Ben. But uh, I didn't realize that he had a pretty good year, uh, considering he, he was a surprise starter. Uh, 2,942 passing yards, 18 touchdowns, six interceptions. And, and it wasn't a, a, a great year, but considering he, again, he was a surprise starter, it wasn't bad. And considering he had some injury problems at the end of the year, it kind of fizzled out a bit, you know, thanks to a sprained MCL. But it was still not a bad first season when you didn't expect to be the starter. And he has been around the league for a few years. He was a former third-round pick in 2016 by the Patriots. So, you know, he's at the point in his career where you're thinking, yeah, maybe this is the guy that if you're the Colts, we can maybe build our team around. Um, it's not often that when a quarterback like an Andrew Luck retires or gets hurt or or whatever, that you, you can have a, a young quarterback like Brissett who – has has a lot of ability that you, you you can turn to and maybe try to develop and and the Colts had that last year with Brissett but you know if you I was reading some things in, in preparation for the show and I read something from from their general manager you know courtesy of ESPN.com and, and basically what he said was you know the jury's still out on on uh, Brissett uh, and, and whether he's the future well yeah that's true but you should let the jury continue to deliberate, you know, instead it seems like the, the Colts went for a, a plea deal, which I'm not sure is, is, is uh, realistic in, in the real world, but they went out and they signed um, Philip Rivers to a, a $25 million deal, all guaranteed for the 2020 season. And, you know, he was, he, he, I don't know if, I can't remember if he, if he was released by the chargers or was just a free agent, but anyway, uh, Rivers was available. He was one of the many quarterbacks that were available in free agency, and the Colts snatched him up. So, my question is, what kind of message does that send to Jacoby Brissett? I mean, you know, here's your you, you finally get your chance to to be the man for a team that, to be the starter. You're again a former third round pick, and and as I said earlier, you, you had a pretty good first year considering. You, you didn't know you were going to be the starter heading into the season. And in addition to that, if you go back to 2017, Andrew Luck missed 15 games and Brissett played in 15 games. And he had a pretty good year that year too, 3,000 yards, you know. And, and uh, but what kind of message does it say, send to him about what you think of him? If you go out and sign Philip Rivers, you know, it's, you know, the Colts were a contender last year. And, and again, they struggled with, with, uh, the unexpected news of, of Andrew Luck. So that kind of derailed their season a little bit. And I think, again, the injury to, that Brissett suffered didn't help either. And they finished, I think, eight and eight or seven and nine. They, anyway, they missed the playoffs. But they were contenders going into last year. So you would think with a, a full off season to try to develop, uh, to try to sort of move forward with Brissett as your guy that you can maybe be a contender again this year. But the message that I, that I'm getting from from the river signing is that what what you're saying, if you're if you're the coach, you're saying you know to Brissett, 
we think that uh, Rivers is the guy to, to win a championship for us. And uh, we don't really think that you're the man anymore, even though we're paying you. We've already paid you $20 million in guaranteed money. And, and you, we owe you another, what, $15 million this year, $10 million, whatever, whatever it happens to be. So that brings it back to Mason Rudolph. And why I think I continue to say that that signing a backup quarterback, a veteran backup, which everybody keeps asking for, or, you know, or in the case of Brissett trading for a backup quarterback, it just it just sends a bad message to Mason Rudolph. And and you or, or, or I, whoever, whomever, may not think he's the future, but it, clearly they want him to be the future. They've said it over and over again, or at least they want him to be their backup moving forward. You know, they, they've they've officially endorsed him on more than one occasion. Mike Tomlin has, Kevin Colbert has, the the big boss has. Art Rooney the second came out in support of of Mason Rudolph, and they 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 said they're comfortable with their quarterback situation. So, for them to go out and sign a a at first it was Jameis Winston, and then it was Andy Dalton, and now it's it's Cam Newton that everybody's asking about. Should the Steelers try to sign Cam Newton? It, to me, it just it it tells Mason Rudolph that look. Not only do we not think that you're the heir apparent to Ben, we don't think that you have what it takes to be the backup to Ben right now. So we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna uh, demote you to third string, and we're gonna sort of stunt your development, any development you can get, and we're gonna bring in a veteran for 2020. And you know, the the amount of of reps backups get in practice is limited to begin with, and then the third stringers forget it. I I don't even know how many how much how many the percentage of snaps that they that they get um during the season as far as practice snaps so it would really it would really stun his growth and and he has he still has two years left on on this rookie deal and i think it's important that they find out about this guy in in some form or fashion you know when when ben does retire which presumably will be in two years they're gonna they're gonna have to make some pretty aggressive decisions do they do they try to pick a quarterback in the first round do they do they trade uh, sign a veteran in free agency like so many teams this did this this year you know teddy bridgewater signed a big deal obviously tom brady went to the buccaneers etc etc philip philip rivers so many quarterbacks uh were snatched up this year so if if ben retires in a couple of years and there's another two or three quarterbacks that are that are of that ilk that are available do you make that move or do you go to with Mason Rudolph? Do you give him the keys and see what he can do? So for them to just sort of like push him into to the, to the, to the back and, and, and bring a, a veteran in here to be Ben's backup to me, again, it would send a bad message and it would basically signal the end of Mason Rudolph and, and what they think his future could be here in Pittsburgh. And, and I think him and, and Jacoby Brissett are, have pretty similar reason i mean he just like jacoby Brissett in indianapolis i think mason rudolph would have every reason to be offended by them bringing in another quarterback you know again if i'm if i'm jacoby Brissett, i'm pretty darn angry that they went out and signed philip rivers knowing what i know now about his contract situation and the kind of year he had last year you know this this could have been his first off season where he could have planned on being the man in the regular season being the the, the top guy it, it be the colts being his team and him being the leader, and him being the guy that 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 uh, gets everybody on the same page as far as as far as the offense and and, and work workouts in the offseason. and he might be doing that anyway. But but 
you know, he's obviously the, 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 the Colts did not sign Philip Rivers to a guaranteed $25 million deal just for him to be the backup. You know, he's going to be the starter. There's no question about it. And, and uh, with, what, what are they going to do next year when, if, if, if Rivers decides to retire, are they going to move on from Brissett too? You know, again, this is the kind of guy that, that, that you could, you would like to have if, if you, are looking for a new quarterback after your franchise quarterback leaves. So not too many teams get, get a chance to have a, a guy like Brissett. So if Mason Rudolph has a chance to be that kind of quarterback in a couple of years, like if he, if he evolves his game to the point where Jacoby Brissett is now, by the time Ben retires, then I think that's a, a, a good foundation to build on if they decide to give for him to be the starter. So I think it's important that they stick with Mason as their backup, at least through, as I've said a few times, at least through the summer, right? At least through the preseason and see how he's progressed after last year with the, with the, the 10 games that he played. I think eight were as a starter and two were he, he came in for the, the first one was for Ben when he got hurt in, in, early in the year. And then at the end of the year, he came in for Devlin Hodges against the Jets and then he wound up getting hurt. So it wasn't, it was a roller coaster year for him, but it was still a lot of experience that he gained. And, and, and I think it's, it's important that the Steelers, find out about Mason Rudolph in 2020. So again, uh, as far as the backup situation, I think we, we need to believe the Steelers when they say that they're comfortable with their quarterback situation. And we need to stop asking them to c- contradict what they're saying in public. And, and they, they've been on record a few times again, saying that, that they don't want to do anything with the quarterback situation as of right now. So that's the first issue. I wanted to discuss. So the second thing I wanted I wanted to talk about today is the idea of, of it's another quarterback topic. Ben Roethlisberger. You know, it's been it's been said that uh, over the last couple of years, especially that he has too much say. You know, that they they hired Randy Fickner after they got rid of Todd Haley following the 2017 season. He was the uh, the coordinator from 2012 through 2017. And then after the, the loss to Jacksonville in the playoffs, they got rid of Haley. And then they, they, they promoted Randy Fickner, who was a long time, I think he was a receivers coach at first, and he was a quarterback's coach. That They promoted him to, to offensive coordinator. So a lot of people said, well, that's just because he's Ben's boy and, and they're, they're pals, and, 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 and that's why they, they, they promoted Fickner. He's just a puppet offensive coordinator. That's been said many times. My, my feeling on that is, no, no, he's not the puppet because we saw how successful – the Steelers offense was in 2018 when you had a, a, a healthy Ben, you had Antonio Brown, right? You had, a, 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 obviously Juju was the number two then. So, and you had Vance McDonald who, who was coming into his own as a tight end. So, and Jesse James was still here, wasn't he? Yeah. Jesse James was still here in 2018. So you, you had uh, a lot, a lot for, for Fickner to work with in 2018 and last year, not so much. So the, re- the reason why they're keeping Fickner around, is not because he's Ben's boy. Ben, it's because Ben is comfortable with him and he did a good job with him. And, and Ben, basically what Fickner did when he took over for Haley, he just tweaked the offense a little bit. He didn't, it wasn't a radical change. And it, at this stage of Roethlisberger's career, do you really want him to learn a new offense? Todd Haley, uh, he, he took over uh, for, for, Bruce Arians, who really was Ben's boy. They were buddies. They, they, they still are, I guess. 
they vacationed together, they played golf together, etc. So he took over for for Bruce Arians in 2012, and he and he. he sort of made Ben change his game a little bit. He made him become a, a more efficient passer and, and get rid of the ball a little quicker. And he was a bit of a taskmaster, which for whatever reason, a lot of people wanted at the time, a lot of Steelers fans. And, and even it seemed like the, the, the coaches kind of wanted that they wanted Ben to, to sort of have somebody to listen to, you know, it's, it's sort of like that. That's Pittsburgh Steelers fan slash Pittsburgher blue collar mentality. You know, you don't want the, the, uh, the, the big franchise quarterback to get too big for his britches, right? You don't want him to, you know, he's just like everybody else, right? You know, it's like, like what they say about, about directors and, and, and uh, on movie sets, they're, they're like, the, they're up here and everybody else is sort of down here. Whereas on a TV set, the director is sort of like on the bottom of the hierarchy and the writers are up top and et cetera. And I think in Pittsburgh, even though the, the quarterbacks demand that, everywhere else i think in pittsburgh they just want him to be one of the guys so i think there was a lot of resentment at that time back in 2011 2010 that that ben and you know and, and arians were, were buddies and and he wasn't being hard enough on on ben that, that kind of thing so when, when haley came in i think that was welcome but we saw how that how that all worked out at the end by by the end of of uh, Haley's tenure here, they were they were barely speaking, right? They were they were sniping at each other in in the papers or in the in the media, or at least Ben was. Ben you know was dropping little passive aggressive bombs. You know, coach won't let me run a a a a quarterback sneak that kind of thing. So I think there's always been that little that that was welcome, but I I I, I kind of thought that was a mistake at the time. Yes, Haley kind of made Ben a a, a better quarterback, but. But was it him necessarily, or was it the fact that that they revamped their offensive line that was in shambles for years? I mean, that's when they decided to finally invest in the line with Pouncey and DeCastro, Marcus Gilbert, Ramon Foster became a starter. Uh, they brought in, they found Alejandro Villanueva. They 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 hired Mike Munchak, who might be the, the greatest offensive line coach of all time. So, and obviously, AB became an All Pro, became the best receiver in the game. Le- they drafted Le'Veon Bell. He became perhaps the best running back in, in the game for, for at least a couple of years there. And even Martavis Bryant was a dangerous weapon for two or three seasons. So was it necessarily all Haley that made Ben better? Or was it the fact that they just improved the offense around him and they surrounded him with, with all this talent? So, you know, I, I've always been of the opinion that it's up to the, to the, the coach, the head coach sort of to be the disciplinarian and, I think the offensive coordinator and, 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 the, and the quarterback should be sort of like collaborators. They should, they should get along. Like you shouldn't, they shouldn't be, one shouldn't be resentful of the other. They shouldn't be like having little riffs in the media. They shouldn't uh, have to constantly patch things up with each other, right? They should be, wor- have a great working relationship, you know? And I, you know, I, I, I think the quarterback should have a lot of say in the organization, especially if he's one who is as talented and as a, as accomplished as Ben, right? You know, he should have the say because he has to lead the team. He has to be the leader in that in the locker room and on the field. He, he's an extension of the coach on the field. So, like even you know, Dan Fouts, if you, if you think back to his time in the NFL, you know, his teammates used to say that he would wear a baseball cap to the to the Chargers facilities during the week that said HMFC. Head bleep bleep in charge, you know, 
he was he was an alpha male, right? He was he was the that kind of quarterback, the guy that that uh, that people had to had to listen to, and 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 that's I think that's what you need in, in your in your franchise quarterback. He should be that kind of guy. Sorry, I gotta check my notes. Like um, even even like the meek and mild and mannered Bart Starr, the legendary quarterback of the '60s Packers teams. As nice as he was, and as fiery as Vince Lombardi was uh, on the sidelines, maybe the most intimidating coach in the history of the NFL. Uh, as per Bart Starr, in an inter- interview I saw of his once, he he basically went up to to Lombardi one day in private and said, "Look, you expect me to be the leader of this team. You expect me to lead these men on the field and in the locker room, but you're you, you keep chewing me out in front of them. You keep you keep uh, embarrassing me in front of them. How do you expect me to be their leader?" If you're gonna if you're gonna talk to me like that, if you have something to say to me, say it in private. And 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 according to Bart Starr, Lombardi never chastised him, you know, at least aggressively or embarrassingly in public ever again. So, you know, I think uh, again in Pittsburgh, we 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 want the quarterback to be just one of the guys. When I think in in reality, he should be he should have the most influence, other than maybe the head coach. So. That's all I have to say about that issue. And then I think my favorite topic that I, I couldn't wait to talk about, and that is this idea that, speaking of coordinators, that Matt Canada is the secret offensive coordinator or the offensive coordinator in waiting to Randy Fichter. And if you remember last year at this time, Terrell Austin was supposed to be that to Keith Butler for the defense, right? He was supposed to... You know, here's a guy that was the the coordinator for for the, for the Lions, and then and then the um, the Bengals for four years straight. And then he then he came on to Pittsburgh. He, he's their um, he's their defensive uh, assistant slash secondary coach, and I guess he handles the uh, the challenges that kind of thing. So there was speculation that he was brought in because of his experience. He was brought in to be. Keith Butler's replacement as a defensive coordinator moving forward after 2019. And, uh, you know, it was Butler's last year of his contract and the defense really hadn't reached the point where you wanted it to, to be. And there were all the rumors that, that Tomlin had taken over the, the, the game planning of the defense and he was essentially calling the plays. So it made sense, I guess, to, to suggest that, that Austin would, uh, would take over. Well, here we are a year later and Keith Butler is still the defensive coordinator. Austin still holds the same title that he has. Uh, Tom Brady is still the secondary coach uh, uh, and, and Jerry O still in there. I mean, you know, uh, the legendary John Mitchell is still there. He's a, he's not the defensive line coach anymore, but he's, he's an assistant head coach. I, I guess my point is all these guys have an experience of wealth. Uh, I'm sorry, have a wealth of experience. Um, uh, Tom Bradley's been a defensive coordinator a number of times in college, yes, but he has he has a tremendous amount of experience. He was the uh, Penn State's uh, defensive coordinator for a number of years. He he was uh, their interim head coach for a, a brief period of time with everything that happened with that with the uh, Jerry Sandusky uh, scandal in, in 2011. He was UCLA's defensive coordinator. He was an assistant head coach at West Virginia. I mentioned Austin's experience, right? Uh, he, he has a, a lot of experience. 
Coach Mitchell's been here forever. So, I mean, my, my point is it's a collaborative effort when it comes to the game plan on both offense and defense. All these guys give their input throughout the week. It's not just the coordinator standing up there dictating the game plan and, and these guys keeping their mouths shut. So when it comes to the offensive side of the ball, Matt Canada, who's been a coordinator a number of times, he was a coordinator at Pitt, did great things here. He went to LSU. He was their coordinator. He was a coordinator at Maryland. He became the interim head coach a couple of years ago for, for a brief time. So he has a lot of experience. So naturally he's going to come in here and they're going to, they're going to, they're going to want him to, to give his, his, his input, his, his thoughts. They're going to want to know what he thinks. It's not just going to be, it's not just Randy Fickner up there designing a game plan or, or Ben it's, it's, it's a collaborative effort. You know, they, they talked for years about, about uh, what, what Mike Munchak meant to the running game and that he was basically the, the, the running game court coordinator. Uh, Dick Hoke, who was a longtime running backs coach, he was here forever. Uh, he helped them make adjustments at halftime. I mean, who would think that, you know, Dick Hoke, who, who was so unassuming, played such an influential role in the game plan every week and, and helping them make adjustments. But, but all these guys, they, they get together and, and, uh, and, and help out with the game plan every week and every, every season. So it's not just every time the Steelers hire a new guy to be a, a position coach or, or to be an assistant or to be some kind of, uh, of, of coach for them. It's not like some conspiracy theory where, where, where he's just lying in wait to be, to take the, the, the current guy's place. If they were going to do that with, with, if they didn't think that Keith Butler was, was uh, uh, doing, doing the defense justice any longer, if, if they didn't think he was the answer as a coordinator, it would have been easy to move on from him after last season. Yeah. Even though, even though there was a lot of su success and the defense was played as well as it had in, in forever, it would have been very easy for them to move on from Butler. I mean, first of all, he's not Dick Laveau. He's not a, a local sacred cow that the fans have lost their minds. If they, if they got rid of him, I mean, you know, the, 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 he was, Butler was a highly criticized figure here for a number of years until last season. So people weren't going to be outraged over the, if they, if they had moved on from Keith Butler and decided that they wanted Terrell Austin to be, to, to be the new coordinator. And, and, and you know, yeah, uh, Tomlin and, and Butler were, they go way back. They run the same staff in Memphis and in Arkansas state, but that's a, I, I doubt that Mike Tomlin would be so, so loyal to Keith Butler that he would, he would undermine his own success as a head coach and he would undermine the, the success of his football team to keep Keith Butler around as the figurehead defensive coordinator, you know, and furthermore, why would, why would Butler stick around in that role anyway? I mean, it seems kind of a, a demeaning role to, to stick around as, as a, a puppet defensive coordinator when you're not really, when you're pretty much being phased out by, by your boss and, and the new guy he brought in. So as that pertains, pertains to, to Matt Canada, uh, just because he has a wealth of experience doesn't mean he's going to take over next year for Randy Fickner. If they were going to make that move, why wouldn't they do that already? You know, why? Because Ben would get angry. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Ben and Bruce Arians were best buds, and it didn't stop them from basically telling Arians to take a hike after the 2011 season and bringing in 
probably <laughs> the worst possible wor- uh, person for, for Roethlisberger to try to get along with. And that's Todd Haley, who's infam- infamously tough to get along with everybody, you know, for everybody. So I, I just don't see it. I, I don't see uh, some weird conspiracy or some secret uh, plan to move on from from Randy Fickner after this year. And if they do, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be Matt Canada because because he has experience as a coordinator. All these guys, if you look at their Wikipedia pages, they all have they've all ser- they, they all have served or most of them have served in various positions as they move up and down the coaching ladder. That's just that's just the reality of being a, a coach in in the NFL and, and in college football. It doesn't necessarily mean that that they have these these um, cryptic plans, right? So, if you re- really want to know an example of a of a, a figurehead offensive coordinator or a coordinator period, uh, go do some research on the 1995 Steeler team. Uh, Ron Earhart was the was the co- coordinator at the time, the offensive coordinator, but he was in the last year of his deal. And uh, they they didn't they decided not to renew his contract, but they they made him basically or they agreed to let him uh, work out the last year of his deal, work through the last year of his deal. But essentially, Chan Gailey was the who was the receivers coach in name was the unofficial offensive coordinator. If you ever look at 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 uh, those uh, NFL films highlights from that from Super Bowl Thirty. When when Cowher decides, maybe the most famous scene from that Super Bowl is Cowher's decision to go for the surprise onside kick, right? And who's he talking to in his headset? Ron Earhart's standing right like ten feet away from him. He's not even looking at him. He's talking to to Chan Gailey, saying, "I'm going to go surprise onside, uh, Chan. I'm going to do it. I'm not leaving anything in the bag. I'm I'm doing it." Earhart was just he was just a figurehead at that point. So that's an example of a puppet coordinator not what's going on with the Steelers right now because if that was really the reality then Keith Butler would not be here right now he, he would have been shown the door and Terrell Austin would be the coordinator so that's the third issue yes the third issue and we're moving right along here we're at the 30 minute mark and I again I thank you for joining me this has been a fun show I've actually I feel pretty uh pretty uh passionate today maybe the most excited I've been doing a show so maybe I'm uh Maybe I will be picked up. Maybe Brian's not just uh, blowing smoke. So the the, uh, the fourth issue I want to talk about is more a little more serious, and that's the uh, uh, the NFL and their and their plan moving forward with with how, with fan capacity during a regular season. Once September rolls around, uh, where are we going to be at as a society when it comes to the to the um, coronavirus pandemic are we gonna where, where are we gonna be at at that point and and troy vincent who's uh head of football operations he was on, on the brian mitchell show recently and uh, uh according to him the nfl still plans on on having full stadiums uh as of right now i mean he did say that that they are planning for half full stadiums three quarters a third you you have it but as of right now, they have not ruled out full stadiums. But if you look at, at how the other three major professional sports leagues are, are, are uh, planning uh, the resumption of their seasons, because they, you know, they were all halted right in the middle. Well, hockey and the NBA were, were they had to stop right at the end of the year, and, and Major League Baseball had to had to stop in the middle of spring training. So they're all working on plans on how to resume play. 
and all these plans uh, do not include none of these plans include having fans in the stands as of right now. They don't have they don't include that. And if they do get to that point, I doubt it's going to be full capacity. It's probably going to be at, at best, I would guess, a third to a half. So if, if they're going to play, if, if these three leagues do play through to the end of summer and obviously baseball will still be going at that point and they're still playing in, in empty stadiums, empty arenas or 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 stadiums and arenas that are that are not filled to capacity, how can the NFL then decide that we're going to have 65, 70,000 fans in stadiums all across the country? It just would not look good. You know, it, it would not be a good look at all. It'd be, a, I think, in my opinion, it'd be a horrible PR move for the league. And, and it, heaven forbid, if there's another breakout and this breakout is traced back to, to a, 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 an NFL game, with a stadium full of fans. It just would be, it would be a horrible look, just an absolutely horrible, tragic look for the NFL. So I think, yes, you know, they, they stand to lose a lot of money if they decide to, to have stadiums with, with at half capacity or a third, or even nobody in these stadiums. Uh, I, I think the Steelers, according to Forbes, the Steelers could stand to lose $156 million in revenue in 2020, if that were to happen, and that's a lot of money, and that'd be about 38% of the revenue, and, and, and for the entire league, it would be 5.5 billion estimate, and that's a lot of money, and I get that. But you know, if the NHL, who I think needs needs uh, in in stadium or in arena revenue more than any other leagues, if, that, if if they can survive, then the NFL can certainly survive. So I think yes, you you still plan on having full stadiums if you're you have i guess you have to kind of say that because you know you, you want to try to sell as many season tickets as you can and you know hopefully with the with the uh with the intention of of giving ref, issuing refunds at a later date i would hope that's how they would operate but uh i think it would be it would be best for everybody if they just decided to have at best a half ha, stadiums at half capacity so that's 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 the fourth issue I wanted to discuss, and I have one more issue I want to discuss. One that makes me very sad, and I'm, I'm usually not sad when the NFL decides to to reject a a a, a rule change, uh, a proposal for a rule change. And I was very sad and, and disappointed to hear that that on in a virtual meeting on Thursday, the NFL decided to table or shelve the the, the proposal of a of an alternative to the to the onside kick. You know, instead of having a, a traditional onside kick at the end of a game or, or whatever, twice per game teams could could go for a fourth and fifteen, and if they convert, then they they get to keep possession. Obviously, this is following a a, a field goal or a touchdown. Instead of an onside kick, they they could declare that they're going for four, for for a fourth and fifteen and try to convert. And if they convert, they they get to keep the ball. But the NFL rejected that for. I guess, according to Art Rooney, the second who was who was interviewed about it, who was asked about it, he said he thought it'd be too gimmicky. But in my opinion, I think, I think the way they the, the way they they try to do an onside kick now is 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 pretty gimmicky. It, it looks nothing like any other football play, right? And it relies on on really very little strategy and just a lucky bounce, you know. Whereas a fourth and fifteen attempt would would be more it would be an actual play and it would require strategy on both offense and defense. And, and it, it, 
basically it would it would increase a, a it, w- it would give a team that's trailing by two scores late a more of a puncher's chance of getting back in the game right um after the 2017 season you know for player safety purposes the the league uh prohibited uh special teams players from getting a head start like they used to do on a on a onside kick attempt you know they wanted to sort of eliminate these you know high speed collisions but you know rightfully so so they eliminated eliminated that in 2018, but in 2018 and 2019, this led to to the the uh, an onside kick becoming almost impossible to convert. The between 2018 and 2019, NFL teams converted 11 out of a possible one 11 out of 109 onside kick attempts, which I think is roughly my math is bad. It, it, it's it's got to be under 10 percent, right? Yeah. Because it's yeah, it's a little under ten percent. That's that's not a good uh, it's not a good uh, percentage. It, it's 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 darn near impossible. But between twenty fifteen and twenty nineteen, teams that went for for it on fourth and fifteen, they they converted at a twenty four percent clip, which isn't great, but it's certainly a, a much better chance than what the percentages they were they were successful at on onside kicks and. And it's not so much of an improvement that it makes it unfair for defenses, or it makes it unfair for teams that are that are lead that have double uh, two score leads late in the game. So I think it could have been a nice compromise. And what I really liked about the rule is once it, once a team declared that it was going for it, and by the way, this would be from the from the 25 yard line. They would they would uh, attempt this from the 25 yard line, and if they didn't get it, then the the opposing team would take over wherever they were wherever they wherever, wherever they stopped the offense short so like say they 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 stopped them two yards short the opposing team would take over at inside their own at, at, their, at the other team's 38 yard line so um what i like about it is once a team would have declared that they were going for the fourth and 15 no matter how many times they were penalized on offense like say they they were called for holding uh, making it fourth and 25, they couldn't then decide to, to, to just kick off. They were, they were, they were committed to going for it. So even if they were penalized all the way down to the one and it was a fourth and whatever, 38, they would still have to go for it. So I, I, I like that aspect of it. You know, the only bad thing I didn't like about it is a, a team could, could, could uh, have a, a, a successful try if the if if a defense was called for for pass interference or or holdings that would be an automatic first down and that might be that might have been a little unfair for the defense and maybe that's one of the reasons why they they decided to, to table the idea but other than that and i'm sure they could tweak that if they wanted to they could say um it wouldn't be an automatic first down if you got called for for pass interference it would just be a spot of the foul uh, penalty and, and you just keep trying it until you convert. And if you don't convert, then the other team gets the ball. They, they could have maybe tweaked it a little bit. Maybe they will moving forward. But I think it would have been a, a, a nice, uh, a nice uh, way to make that attempt more exciting and make the ends of games more exciting. And even, even uh, like the, the first half of games, like say a team's down twenty-eight nothing and they score a touchdown, make it twenty-eight-seven, and they decide they they're going to use one of their two opportunities. To, on the fourth and fifteen, well, maybe you know they get the ball back and and suddenly you know they score again and they're back in the game. So I think that would have been a uh, a nice way to not only 
give teams at the end of games a chance to come back, but teams that are being blown out early maybe have a chance to, to stay in the game. So those are my topics for today. And I thank you for listening. And now I will open it up for questions. So fire away. Give me what you got this week. Let's see what you have. Let's see. Somebody said something about Ezra having a great idea. So let's see what he said. Excuse me while I scroll through this. I, I want to see what Ezra said about this. Oh, okay. Well, let's see. Let's see what Ezra said. The onside kick should be dodgeball. The kickoff team should throw it, and the receiving team has to catch it. Hmm. Well, well I guess that would be a great time for the hands team. But uh, you never know with the NFL. I mean, they're always make, they're, they're a very innovative league. And, and of course, the, uh, the XFL had a lot of uh, – exciting ideas uh, back in the spring before before they went out of business, unfortunately. So you never know what, what, what these uh, owners are going to come up with next. So thanks for that, Ezra. Let's see what else we have here. Here's one from Dill Willett. Will will it. I agree. I guess there was a discussion about the 15 yards, and I agree with that. 15 yards is too short. I said that uh, last year when, when the AAF um, – First, they're the ones who actually came up with this idea of going, of having uh, that kind of uh, a, a an alternative to the onside kick. And, and for them, it was fourth and twelve. And I thought, okay, for a league like that, when the quarterback play, you don't figure it to be great. Uh, that's probably a, a decent uh, uh, distance. But for the NFL, you know, somebody like Patrick Mahomes, you give him fourth and twelve, or in this case, fourth and fifteen, that might be a little bit too easy for him, or for a Ben, or for a Brady, but. Maybe fourth and twenty, you know, that might defeat the purpose a little bit because I guess the whole point of of the alternative is to increase the team's chances of of, of recovering onside kicks, so to speak. But still, I, I kind of agree, fourth and fifteen might be a little bit too short. But but who knows? Like again, it'll be interesting to see um, if if they decide if they continue to, to to work on this and maybe bring it up for a vote next off season. Maybe they they tweak it. And because obviously they are interested in trying to to make the 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 onside kick a little bit more realistic for for teams to to have a chance to recover. So we'll see what they do. Uh, we'll see how many onside kicks are recovered this year, and see what, where that takes us uh, next season. Let's see here. Uh, let's see. Okay, here's a good question, Professor Jakob. Why has Matt Canada been to so many teams? Well, I mean, far be it for me to speak out of turn, but I was listening to 93.7 The Fan a, a while back, I think when the Steelers first hired Canada to be their quarterback's coach. And apparently it's, a, it's an attitude slash ego thing with him. And maybe he clashes with his bosses or maybe his players. And this is according to, again, 93.7 The Fan. This is what, what they were saying. And 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 you know he again he had he did a lot of great things here at, at at Pitt and it would stand to reason that he would he would uh, want to move on to LSU if they offered him a a pretty plum deal to be their coordinator it's a, it's a, even though it's a lateral move quote unquote it's still a step up from Pitt to LSU but he didn't last there very long and then of course he didn't last at Maryland very long but then again they were going through a major reg regime change so he might have got cut up in that too but you know it could be an ego thing it could be just just that could have been just speculation and, and maybe 
you know, Matt Canada is like a lot of assistant coaches and coordinators. They move around a lot until they, until they find a home, a more permanent home. It happens. I mean, Dick LeBeau, maybe the most beloved defensive coach in the history of the Steelers, maybe the most beloved assistant coach period that the Steelers have ever had. I mean, he moved around a ton, you know, uh, you know, all these coaches uh, just, you know, before they find the, their, their true home, they, they, they definitely move around. Some of them never stop moving around. That's just the nature of the business. So it could just be uh, standard uh, for, he, he's just having a, 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 your standard, typical assistant coach career until hopefully he finds a home, hope, you know, for his sake. Getting bent with Bo. I haven't heard from you in a while. Good to see you, man. What's up with you, man? We're, uh, Here's one, here's one from Snowman, a $5 Super Chat question. Those are always important to get up there. I'm glad I was able to do that right. Who do you think will be the third-string quarterback? Congratulations on pick, being picked up for the year. Well, thank you, Snowman. I'm not sure if that's official, but it probably is. Who do I think is going to be the third stringer? I don't know. I mean, obviously, Devlin Hodges, based on his experience last year, he's certainly, I think, a major candidate for that for that role. And and in addition to Mason Rudolph, you, you, you would hope that, that – you would like to see Devlin Doc Hodges uh, progress from what he from the experience that he gained last year, and then of course there's there's Paxton Lynch who's been around. You know, I, I think maybe he might have he might be close to his expiration date, quite frankly. But then there's J.T. Barrett. Is that how you say his name or, or Bartlett? I I I don't know names. But anyway, a lot of people were excited about him, the former Ohio State quarterback. So. Uh, there's a guy that that you know if, if he turns some heads in training camp and uh, maybe mini camp if there is a mini camp in the preseason maybe he he uh, uh, comes out of nowhere and 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 becomes a number three and then who knows after that you know all, it's all about getting a chance for a lot of these guys especially a lot of guys that are lower on a depth chart so you know there, there's uh, there, there's certainly a few candidates for for that role I would say but I, I would say at, at the moment it would have to be Devlin, Devlin Hodges would have to be the uh, the leader based on last year, as far as the uh, third string job. There's one from uh, Creeks. Lynch is not very good. Well, I mean, there really hasn't been a whole lot of uh, a, a whole lot up to this point to suggest that that he has he has is any good because he really hasn't done a whole lot at this point in his career. So we'll see what happens. All right, Pax. Here's another one. Pax and Lynch doesn't. Impress me. That's from Snowman. Getting bent with Bo. I think being behind Ben could be big for him. That's, uh, that's true. So let's see if we can find any more questions here. Ones that I may have missed. Here's a, that's a good point from Ezra. That's, I didn't really think of that. Uh, with the COVID going on, we might just stick with Duck and Mason. That that's true. I, you know, it's a good point because, you know, it, it, for a lot of these guys, like 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 uh, Pax Lynch, who was here last year, but he, he came on, you know, late not late in the year, but after after training camp, so he hasn't been in the system quite as long as the other guys, and, uh, and obviously uh, uh, JT. Um, you know, they might just decide to, to stick with the guys that are more familiar with the system. But I think they could – that would be more Mason Rudolph. I think they could probably get away with making a change at the third-string position if they don't feel like – if they feel like somebody has a 
a higher ceiling than Duck. So I think they, they, they would definitely bring in, uh, keep somebody with potential if it meant, even if he's not uh, as uh, up to speed on the offense as, as maybe somebody else. So, so, uh, oh, here's a good one. Oh, that's a good question from Alex Flores. Who is your favorite Steeler of all time? That's easy. It's Lou, Louie Lips. And, uh, you know, a receiver from the 80s. They drafted him in 1984 out of uh, southern Mississippi. He was uh, basically their first first great first-round pick after the, the, uh, their last Super Bowl in 79. And he kind of he took the uh, Steel Nation by, by storm in, that, that in 84. I was 12 at the time, so I was more impressionable. And, and I think you remember the the – players from your youth more fondly than than when you get a little bit older because look at how many great players have come along since i've been an older uh fan you know guys like ben of course and troy and and james harrison and, and, and cam hayward and ab and heinz ward so many of them right but i think i just remember remember i just have such great memories of, of louis lips and i think he's a, a great example of, of a player who may have you know you know, just it's just bad timing for a lot of these guys, right? Had he come along at a you know, ten years earlier or ten years later, twenty years later, you know, he's a bigger legend because you know he gets to play on, on more on some st- on Super Bowl teams. Whereas at the time, in the '80s, they were kind of going through a real bu- a rebuilding phase. They were going through a post Super Bowl malaise. So, uh, here's I'll, I'll take one more, and then I'm probably going to wrap it up because we're we're getting close to the one hour mark. So. I'm going to take one here from Ryan O'Toole. Which rookie are you looking forward to watching the most? I can't wait to see Claypool. Well, that's a, uh, that's up there on, on the list, uh, high on the list for me too. Uh, you know, he's such a, uh, a, a physical specimen and, and, and he, he, he serves a lot of great things on tape that he's definitely up there, but <clears throat> I'm not, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I really am looking forward, even though it's hard to evaluate, linemen offensive linemen from my position as a layman i'm looking forward to see what kevin dotson can do because i really really am excited about that pick fourth round pick uh he, he's a guy that if if he develops like i think he can if sean Surrett can really do some magic with him and maybe not that much magic based on his overall talent i think uh he can come in and, and maybe not start right away but but start before his rookie year is, is up and I think that would be a, a great thing for the Steelers. So that's, uh, that's who I'm really looking forward to. I mean, you know, I, I want to see them all do well. I, I'm very excited about Anthony McFarlane and what, what his, the possibilities that he could bring to the offense with that speed. It's, it's so unlike anybody else that they have. And, of course, Alex Highsmith, I, I'd love to see him, him step up and, and, and be a, a, a sort of diamond in the rough that they, that they uh, polish into a – their next great pass rusher as an outside linebacker. So I think there's a lot to be excited about with, with the rookie class. So, and that's, uh, that's all I have for today. And, and, and I want to thank you guys for joining me. It's great questions. You guys were great participants and, and um, you'll catch me again on uh, Steelers Q and a with Brian Anthony Davis. So I'll look forward to seeing you guys then and talking to you guys then. And, and uh, until then you all have a great and wonderful weekend. Peace out. See you next time.